Hey, welcome to The Caption Life, and in this episode, we're going to be reviewing the Age of Apocalypse storyline from Marvel Comics back in 1995-1996, and our special guest host is Kim Manny from the ODPH podcast, and he shares with us where the story behind the ODPH comes from. We also talk about how much we hate the idea of being locked into a niche, and we also discuss how asking someone on a comics podcast what their comics origin story is not that original. Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsonlife.com. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the show. We are doing a comics review and commentary, and today we're going to review the comic series Age of Apocalypse in 1995 that's by Marvel Comics. It was primarily a 10-issue story arc with tie-ins that ran from 95 to 96. It was created by a number of writers and artists such as Mark Wade, Scott, uh, I think it's Lobdell is how you pronounce his name. If not, I apologize. Jeff Loeb, Andy Kubert, Tony S. Daniel, Joe Bennett, Adam Cooper, and more. There's a lot of people who are involved with this story. Story. Uh, this comic that we're about to review was recommended by today's guest host, so please welcome to the show, Ken Manny. Ken is an executive producer and host of the ODPH or Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast, along with being the co-host of 607TWS, the wrestling show podcast. He also does weekly comic book reviews for the ODPH pod and Nerd Initiative. Ken is also a freelance pro wrestling blogger and all-around fan of sports, movies, TV, comics, and pro wrestling. Ken. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Sean, thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big Caption Life fan, so this is something I definitely have been excited to talk about. And and just thank you again. I'm, I'm, I'm so amped to talk about this series with you. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm glad that you suggested this because Age of Apocalypse is a title that I think any X-Men fan is always aware of. It's not one I've read before you suggested this. So this is the first time I actually sat down and read this major event that's been part of the X-Men lore, you know, since the not not the beginning, obviously. But it's like when you think of key events in the X-Men story, mm-hmm. this is definitely one that's been brought up. And I mean, in fact, there is a movie with the same title. It's not the same story, but the right. same title. And I think, you know taking that inspiration there um you know definitely means like it has that impact on the x-men story which is really interesting we'll get into that a little bit but um can i gotta say i am a big fan of your show as well too and a big fan of a lot of things that you do i i'll be honest i am not a wrestling fan and i never heard of anything wrestling related until you and i connected and then like all of a sudden <laughs> i hear about wrestling all the time um you know with with your tweets and stuff like that so it's really interesting to see how many people are fans of wrestling because i'm just not part of that circuit and you know it's not that i i I grew up like liking wrestling. It's just not been one of those things I've always been um, really, you know, committed to or really in, in love with. But it's just really interesting to see how many people love wrestling. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, because we were talking about this before we started recording, is your show called ODPH Ocho Duro uh, Parlay Hour. What is the story behind the name of that podcast? Okay, so the story behind it is it's actually a nod to my late father. Because when we were planning out the podcast back in 2015, unfortunately, he became sick with pancreatic cancer and unfortunately lost his battle. No, I'm so sorry. When, no, thank you. 
And when we got back on the podcast idea again, my co-host and uh, logo designer at the time, both were kind of kicking around ideas. And of course you go through so many weird names when you're kind of kicking around podcasts and we were just doing the very generic ones. And then they knew my dad had this weird uncanny ability that he could throw a hard eight or an Ocho Duro in craps at like the most random times. <laughs> and I, w- I never thought this was true until I went out to Las Vegas with him. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like he couldn't do it like on command, but if he like could call that shot, he was like kind of throwing, I got this. And he <laughs> yelled that thing. So right. much so like we'd go into certain casinos and they'd yell Ocho Duro at him. Like he's like Caesar walking into Rome. And I'm like literally <laughs> looking around like, like what is going on here? And we always thought like that was just kind of like the nickname and just like good times, good thoughts and just energy. And we thought like, Nobody else in podcasting is going to have this name. So it'll definitely stand out. And we were going to talk a multiple of topics, which is a parlay bet. Mm -hmm. So put it all together. We were trying to keep the show around an hour. If you listen to the show nowadays, um, well, we try, but uh, (laughs) there's there's hours involved. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's hours involved, uh, especially if you listen to the wrestling show crossovers. (laughs) But we know it's a mouthful. And that's why we just say call it the ODPH. Right. I love that backstory. Well, and, and and I gotta say, you're just like we talk about. Like your show is definitely longer than an hour now, but you guys cover a lot of things, and you cover it very well. Like I Thank really you. enjoy one, you know, the the coverage you give on each of these topics because I feel like in each episode you cover basically like three main things. Usually, it's usually. Mm-hmm. Entertainment related, wrestling related and comics related or a combination of those things, generally speaking. But um, but even though it's it's longer than an hour, it's done very well and it has a very clear segmented part to it. So it's it's I think it's organized and done very well. Um, the name is is that's a fantastic story. I love hearing that story about how you came up with that name. Um, I, I got to be honest, when I hear Ocho, like I immediately think of dodgeball, like ESPN, yeah. the Ocho. Um, but I love this story much better and much better. Like my grammar is terrible. I love this story better. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, it's a great, it's a great tribute to your, your father though. Like, I think that's, you know, it's, it's really endearing and really, um, heartwarming to hear like those kinds of stories about how show the backstory of that just has a lot more meaning than, you know, just what you see with the name there. Yeah, it was just something that, you know, he was excited when we were, we were talking around this and, you know, just unfortunately life happens like in that instance and that podcast gets put on the back burner and it's like you switch focus to what really matters. Mm-hmm. So when we decided to get back on the uh, proverbial horse for it, it was just thinking, OK, how could we do something? And just I threw the name out there and my former co-host, Josh Royce, was he knew my dad. and He was like, yes, we're doing that. <laughs> and we'll just we got to find a way to incorporate it because everybody's going to be like, what is this? I'm like, simple. We shorten it up because who thinks in the sports world of Eastern Sports Programming Network? We just say ESPN. Right. And speaking of so like a lot of podcasters and, you know, you and I do this more as a on the side type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do this for the money because we don't get paid yeah. <laughs> for money. We, we do this for enjoyment and stuff like that. So I'm always curious, you know, the the person behind the microphone um, outside of doing this podcast and doing, you know, talking about the things you love, like comics and sports and entertainment and wrestling, things like that. What do you what do you do for your full-time job? A little bit more about you as a person and things like that. Uh, I am in uh, management at a grocery chain. Awesome. Yes. 
Uh, so I literally do that. Um, and just really outside of work, it's just kind of explore the fandoms, you know, and really, I've always just been a big wrestling fan. So it's always been something to, you know, go to, we have local wrestling here all the time. Uh, we have an independent federation called excite wrestling, which in a weird, uh, seven degrees of separation. My former boss, when I was doing an internship at the radio stations locally, is mm -hmm. now the owner of that federation. Oh, cool. So when I go to it, I'm like, hey, and it's like, you know, hey, buddy. And, you know, <laughs> just kind of kick around that. So it's just a matter of, you know, at work, it's all focus and, you know, doing the best things we can do there. But as soon as we leave, it's, you know, outside. And honestly, the podcast just became... Everywhere I would go, I just wind up getting conversations with people about the different fandoms, like whether it's sports, whether it's pro wrestling. I never try keeping it to be just, you know, such a small niche for me because right. I just I love talking with everybody about anything. And it's just for some people, they're really into sports. And then some people are like, well, I'm into sports, but I don't know it that well because I'm really yeah. more of a comic person. And that's like a perfect ODPH Society member because it's like, hey, we want to talk to you about whatever. And if you don't know a lot, that's cool. Like come to the party, like, you know, here's, yeah. you know, here's the door, walk right through it. And like, and I am fortunate enough that I get to do this with the one and only Padawan Jay, who, you know, <laughs> he has really, you know, grown in his voice over the years. And obviously, you know, Pat is a great person to talk to on Twitter at Meslin. I'll give him a plug too. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's a star Wars aficionado, but he knows his sports too. So we always do that. And, you know, we just kind of branch out and just like it's literally just an extension of us hanging out outside of work, just doing this between us and our fam over at 3FN. I've known Rich for quite some time and like literally it's just an expansion of what we do outside of work. Yeah. Well, and I love how you talk about, you know, you talk about a lot of things and it's more, you know, just outside of a certain niche, because I think that's one of the struggles that I see with myself, but I see with other people as well, too, is that with social media and podcasting and things like that, they tell you that in order to be, you know, successful or to be heard, you have to have like a certain niche. And now it's mm -hmm. like we're getting into because even niches are so saturated, you have to have a niche inside a niche. And I think when we start doing that, we start losing the humanity or the human part of that person of yep. who we are and that I am much more than, you know, someone who loves comics. I definitely love comics. Like I have a podcast about that, but there's so much more to you and me beyond, you know, just the comics things. So I'm always a big advocate of trying to encourage people that just because you don't usually talk about something, if it's something that is really important or, or you care about, that is we need to open up the idea that niche should be beyond just a very specific thing that feeds into the algorithm, but try like, I, this is like a, you know, man versus machine kind of conversation. I didn't want sure, to get sure. into, but it's more of like trying to encourage, um, you know, these things to, you know, more adapt to us rather than we adapt to the algorithm and that sort of thing. And so it's like, you know, trying to focus more on who the person is rather than the things I talk about, because mm -hmm. the things I talk about comes from, you know, from us in terms of who we are as a person and everything. And that's what gives it, you know, a lot of uh, insights and everything. And so I love the idea of trying to get past the uh, barriers of a niche and do more of, this is more of the things I'm interested in. It's not just one thing, but it's multiple things, but that's all, you know, part of who I am basically. So I love that idea. And I think we need to do more of that. Um, even though, you know, our podcast tends to have a focus on a particular topic, we definitely need to be open to the fact that, 
people want to talk about more than just those things. You know, like I'm, I've said this on the show multiple times, like I'm an adoptive father. And those are stories that I tell all the time about what it means to be an adoptive father in certain circumstances and certain things that even within my fandoms, like there are times where I see adoption being handled in the MCU or star Wars and how they have those conversations, especially with the, uh, conversation with Loki, right. And how mm-hmm. he's adopted and, and all that. I remember talking about how that has been kind of handled in the MCU from, you know, the first Thor movie to where we're at now with, you know, the Loki season and everything. And so even though I kind of made that topic relevant because of my niche, it's still mm-hmm. more of, I'm an adoptive father. I want to, you know, shed this light about, you know, what it means to be an adoptive father, you know, not just with the MCU that I usually talk about, but just anything right. in general that might impact that. So I, I agree with you. And I think that we need to be doing more as content creators kind of, you know, busting out that door of niche should not be defining us, but we should, you know, tell it that this is just part of the bigger, larger soul, like soul of who we are. No, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's something that I've seen now. We've been fortunate enough to do the ODPH going on six years in a couple months. And now it, it's always a thing that I always try to preach to everybody that's a new podcast or a new content creator. It's like, don't be afraid to expose the different areas of yourself, but, you know, really be somebody that's comfortable talking about it. Like right. if you're somebody, you know, if you're somebody that's into pro wrestling and you're into some movies, like it's cool to talk about both. You don't have to do it just for a certain market always open the door to just have that conversation and it can work if you do it right. Like if your content is good, I will always preach this first and foremost. If your content is good, people will find it right. because people will gravitate towards being a genuine conversation and being around people that have that honest opinions. And mm-hmm. I said, people will find it word of mouth. I mean, that's the biggest thing you can do. So if you try doing things for clicks or doing things cause it's the cool thing now, it's right. not going to get you long term. It'll be short term here today, gone today. I mean, that's exactly. just how the, the, the algorithms are. So the more that you just be yourself and just go for it and, you know, take the shot. We, we you know, it's, it's a weird thing. I always kind of keep in the back of my head, but it's like we all have a start date. We all have an end date. It's how you mm-hmm. fill in the middle of the story. That's what counts. Exactly. I agree 100 percent. I love that. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. And one of the things I do with our guest hosts and I ask them, well, let me, let me take a step back. I usually ask them, you know, mm-hmm. the same uh, question. And I got to tell you a little history of this is that this question is usually, you know, what's your comic book origin story? And I remember when I came up with this question. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like that's such a great question to ask people because comic books always have this, um, you know, this relationship with characters that have origin stories. I'm like, oh, that'd be so good to incorporate in that show. Well, I since then, I came up with that question. I've listened to so many comic podcasts that has the same question that they asked their guests. I'm like, okay, apparently that's not original, right? Like everybody yeah. asks what their comic book origin story is or some variation of it. So uh, what I've been doing a little bit different lately um, is it's still origin story, but I like to connect it to um, the comic that we're going to review. So what I'm going to ask you is what is your origin story with X-Men or Age of Apocalypse, uh, whether it's the story itself or just, you know, X-Men in general, uh, how did you get connected with that, character in, in that property, whether it's through comics or through some other medium, what was your origin story with how you got connected with the X-Men? It's funny how you bring it up because this actually connects to my nerd origin story. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because when I was growing up in uh, preschool, kindergarten, when it was arts and crafts day, our teacher would bring in the comic section from the mm-hmm. newspapers. Like they would purposely save it. 
And I would be reading the Spider-Man news strip they used to put in the comics mm-hmm. at my table. And they'd be like, well, like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, well, I'm reading the story to everybody. And my parents heard about this and they were like, oh, that's awesome. Like he's, he's in the reading. And my grandmother, God rest her soul, was like, you know, there's a comic book shop that's about six blocks away from the school. Do you oh want to go? Oh my gosh. Your grandmother yeah. said this? Yeah. So that is amazing. So her and um, my great uncle would throw in some money so I could go to the shop. Yeah. And I walked in the door and the first thing I see is Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, all on the line. I think I walk into like Nirvana. Like I'm like, (laughs) what is this magical place and why have I not been here before? Right. So from there, I became a Marvel centric fan. There was yeah. nothing against DC. Like I knew about Super Friends on the on the cartoon, but I was always like, after that moment, I was like, Spider Man is amazing friends. And I remember seeing the one X Men uh, cartoon where Wolverine has like the worst accent ever, and he's being <laughs> thrown by the juggernaut, and he's going like straight at the camera, and then he comes flying back. Like, yeah. It's what it's one of the craziest things, but it's, it's the juggernaut. It's what he does. And I just remember like I was like, okay, that's kind of cool, but you know, it's not with Spider Man, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then, but I was always a fan because of Iceman too. And then right around like a couple of years later, this is when they were bringing X Factor back. Mm-hmm. as in the original X-Men lineup. And they found Jean Grey, wherever she crashed after the Dark Phoenix saga. I mean, obviously, I would say when she died, but I mean, obviously, we lose track at this point of how many right. times it happened. <laughs> yeah. so. But when X-Factor rolled out, I started reading it. And I was like, this is my book. Like, I just gravitated towards that original lineup. And especially when they went to Archangel and Apocalypse, I'm like, this is awesome. And like, <laughs> I just started just freaking out so that's how i got involved in the x universe because i always thought like the x-men were cool but i was just really not impressed with them mm-hmm. but then obviously it's kind of the gateway into the whole x-verse because obviously everything is all connected kind of a precursor to the mcu because when you have three crossovers you got to read every single book known to man mm-hmm. and that's how i kind of got exposed to the x-men universe and then obviously jim lee came along and the rest was comic history that's amazing. I love that story. Yeah. So that's <laughs> literally, I became just a big Marvel fan. I mean, and then I got into DC a little later, but that's for another time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because I know a lot of people have said on the show in terms of what got them, you know, starting comics in general has been a number of things. The number one response I always get is either the X-Men animated series or the Batman animated series, right? Like that was kind of like the gateway drug into comics for a lot of people as they saw mm-hmm. the cartoon series. So they want to get into comics, but I love the fact, I think you're probably the first guest I've had where they said that their grandmother told them about the local comic shop. I don't think my grandparents really even knew what comics were because, well, I, I take that back. My, um, uh, my grandparents on my mom's side did because my uncle was a huge comic fan when he was growing up. He was the one that introduced me to that. Um, but I don't think they really knew much about comic shops. I think they just knew that my uncle loved comics and that was it. Um, so like look at my own grandparents, I don't think they would be able to tell you where a comic shop was in the city that we live in. So the fact that your grandmother not only knew what they were, but could tell you like where one was located at. I absolutely love that story. I think that's so great that, um, hearing more of stories like that is, is phenomenal. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, no, it's just, it was crazy. Cause like, yeah, she brought it up and my dad was like, oh yeah, I know about that place too. And like, and he 
started getting into comics later with me too. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of the weird thing. Cause he never was like growing when I was growing up, he was always into baseball cards and I was just comics. And then one day he was just like, let me go to the shop with you. Let me go check this out. Oh, that's and so like, cool. Yeah. Like, and he was <laughs> ironically a big Nightwing fan. Really oh, big no about kidding. Dick Grayson. Yeah. Really big about Dick Grayson. <laughs> So yeah, it's just kind of just a, is an awesome bonding experience. So that my family's always just been super supportive of that. Oh, that's so awesome. See, and, and my dad, I love my dad and he's, you know, my, he's my personal hero. Um, mm-hmm. but when it comes to things like this, like it's not something that he's ever been interested in, you know, it, his, his interests have been auto mechanics. Like he is a mechanic by trade. He's the smartest person I know when it comes to cars is, is him. And so his, his thing has always been mechanics, uh, world war two history, um, Sports, especially baseball, uh, he's just he's just a history buff in general. So like those are his things. But when it comes to things like this, like it's not his, you know, foray by any means whatsoever. But at the same time, like we bonded over other things. So it's it's not an experience that he and I have had necessarily like growing up. But he always loves like how excited I got. But he always, you know, you know, loves when I went to a comic shop and I got a comic. He was really excited about that or like video games and stuff like that. So he was supportive and love how excited I got by those things. It's just not something that he ever like personally got invested in it by any means whatsoever. Um, so talking about the X-Men, then let's dive into age of apocalypse. So let me ask you, why did you wanted for us to do a review of this story arc specifically? I know you talked a little bit about that in your um, X-Men origin story a little bit, but why, you know, when I asked you, which comic do you want to review for the show? Why did you gravitate to age of apocalypse here? Two reasons actually. So <laughs> one at the time when you asked me about coming on the show and talking books, image comics announced, a return of a series that I literally lost my mind was, was coming back. And that's <laughs> battle chasers, which is coming out June 14th. That's right. Yeah. I remember you were really excited about that. Yeah. Because that's Joey mad art. And <laughs> I always remember first reading his artwork in the uncanny X-Men and then what was astonishing X-Men for the age of apocalypse run and how much I love that series. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when he left the X-Men line to go form cliffhanger with J Scott Campbell and Berto Ramos, and they were doing the subprint for Wildstorm, battle chasers was one of the books there. And then, you know, it just kind of, that's a whole different story. Right. But the fact that the book was back, I literally dropped my phone when I got this news. Cause I was <laughs> like, this, this has to be like, this is not real. Yeah. Trust me. I will, I will be talking about that when that book drops. So that was reason number one. Reason number two is one book series that you've been reading is The Sins of Sinister. Mm-hmm. And same here. And if you notice anything with the Jonathan Hickman universe that he's done, he's kind of paid a little homage to certain X-Men stories throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Sins of Sinister is the homage to Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, I was about to say, reading this. I saw a lot of parallels with that. Like it, it was yeah. just, I, I felt like I was, I was not to a T, um, but I felt like I was reading the same story over again with a lot of elements that they had in there. So yeah, I agree completely. It was very, it was very much an homage to age of apocalypse with what they're doing with the current X-Men run, especially Sinister sinister and, and everything with the Krakoan age that they have. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, this is a perfect book to talk about because I have not dived into the series in quite some time. Mm-hmm. And man, the memories that came back with this thing. Oh, <laughs> 
No, those and those are great reasons, and I think we're going to really dive into a lot of those things, especially you know point number two. You know, just like we talked about, there is a lot of parallels with um, with what's going on now with the X Men stories that I think we'll dive into a lot. So um, before we get started with summarizing what the story is about, uh, this is a spoiler warning for everybody who is watching or listening. We're going to definitely spoil what's in the series, which by the way came out you know almost thirty years ago. So if you haven't read it by then. It's not necessarily a spoiler at this point, but if you are wanting to read it in the future, definitely put this on pause and then come back to this when you've read it or when you're ready to listen to this. So now that's been said, those is your spoiler warning. So let's go ahead and dive into um, a synopsis of what the story is about. So this is, as I mentioned before, this is a 10 issue story arc um, from various series, which is really interesting because usually with a lot of story events, um, it's usually centered around a a particular, um, you know, comic series or something like that. But this one, um, as you had mentioned, is, you know, dives in from it, it originally originates with two series. That's like the story of the Quest of Legion, basically, yeah. that kind of sets up the Age of Apocalypse story run. Um, and it goes back and forth between, I think, uh, the Uncanny X-Men and uh, I forget what the other one is. Just a regular X-Men. Oh, and just regular X Men, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so you go like X Men number forty, and then Uncanny X Men like number three twenty, something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so you get those four issues, and then you read X Men Alpha, and then four issues of Astonishing X Men, and then you read X Men Omega, and so it's kind of all over the place in terms of how you follow it, and then not only to throw that sort of confusion in there, but there's a lot of tie-ins that kind of feeds into the story as well, which is why it's very similar to what we're reading right now with the current X-Men runs with um, Immortal X-Men. Uh, I'm sorry, Immortal X-Men, Sins of Sinister Age or whatever they're calling it, but all the series they have coming out. Um, there's a lot of tie-ins that if you're not reading all of them, you can kind of get lost in some of the stories because you're kind of like, where is this coming from? <laughs> like, I don't remember this being part of the story with the other issues that I've read. And it's because like it was covered in a different X-Men series basically. And so this is kind of really reminiscent of that is as I'm reading through it, th- Again, there's a lot of tie-ins to this. As you mentioned, there's, I think, six or eight other series that really is connected to this main event. Um, I only read the 10 issues as central to this. So as I'm reading this personally, there's a lot of questions that I have that I'm like, did I miss something here? Did I you know, not read this before? And turns out, like, no, I didn't read before because this was actually mentioned in a different series that I haven't read yet. So that's kind of the limiting thing here. But it starts off with the the four series or the four issue series, uh, Legion of Quest between the X-Men and Uncanny X-Men series. And basically, it sets up Age of Apocalypse in that we find out David Holler, who was um, – the son of Gabriel Holler and Charles Xavier is originally someone that has disassociative identity disorder. And then I guess at some point that it, it, it kind of went away or he somehow became more unified or one. And now each of these personalities or identities used to have like their own special power. But now that he's kind of had under control, he's under like one identity. He has all those powers and more. And what he's decided to do is he wants to honor his father by going back in time and killing Magneto because Magneto's always stopped him from achieving his dream. Right. Like that's that's pretty much what Legion Quest is. Um, And yeah, so so that's the start of it. Ken, do you want to like kind of chime in what else happens in this Legion of Quest before we get into Age of Apocalypse as well? 
Yeah, sure. So Legion Quest was just a setup for this and really showing, I mean, Legion has always been a very complex entity in the X universe. Mm-hmm. And so when he decides to do this to take out Magneto, he doesn't realize what he's doing because there's a lot of time travel involved. A lot of things get really crazy. And what mm-hmm. Marvel did for this time, too, is they shut down their entire X-Men line and converted it over to the Age of Apocalypse. So every single book that was on the line was in the Age of Apocalypse universe, which just makes it for an insane read. Right. But, but that's why I say, like, so you really got to pick and choose your your stories that you read. And, like, we'll get into it as we, we do a deeper dive. But Legion Quest was the spot that kicked everything off. And there's so many moments that happen before the final issue of Legion Quest mm-hmm. that if you've been reading the X-Men line, there's big consequences that happen when they come back out of this right. that you might not realize because there's the amazing Wolverine and Sabretooth fight by, <laughs> by Adam Kubert, I believe, yeah, I think it was Adam Kubert in the regular series and right, it is yeah. one of the most vicious fights you'll ever see in all of comics and especially how it ends. And then you have the first time that Rogue and Gambit kiss and she absorbs him. Yes. And what happens after is absolutely crazy right before the <laughs> MCON crystal takes over and the time changes and all of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and there's a lot, just like you said, that goes on into just this four series event before age apocalypse happens. Right. Mm-hmm. So, when David goes back into t- in time, um, Charles Xavier gets visited by some sort of um, alien empire that somebody he knows who apparently was in love with Xavier as well, too, which, by the way, apparently a lot of women pine over Charles Xavier, which I did not realize. You know, I, I know yeah. there was a few out there, but then reading this one, I'm like, how many how many women are in love with Charles Xavier? It seems like a lot of them are. Um, and so, you know, they show up to try to make sure that reality doesn't break as they know it. Um, um, there's a, there's a couple weird parts in there. And, and what happens is, as I said, David goes back to where Magneto and Xavier are at the height of their friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting is that when they go back in time, he drags along with him, um, a few X-Men storm, Iceman, Bishop, and, um, Psylocke, Betsy Braddock, Psylocke. Yeah. Um, but when they go back, like none of them remember who they are. So it takes them, I think months before they figure out who they are, what they're doing there, including David Holler, because David, um, you know, AKA Legion wasn't quite sure why he is there until finally he made some sort of contact with Magneto and then everything comes back flooding back to him. Um, but there's some other bizarre stuff that happened as well too. So David Holler, if you don't know his power, he can do a lot of things, but one of the things he can do is kind of manipulate reality as mm-hmm. people see it. So there is this one scene in Legion quest where, um, he's approaching his mother and I, I forget why he's doing this. I think he's trying to set up a trap or something like that. Yes. But when he approaches his mother, he appears to her as Charles Xavier. And then that whole story folds out to where David Holler as Xavier is like putting the moves on his mother to try, try to get her to like, you know, go unconscious stuff like that. And it was a really weird moment, which I'm just like, it's weird. It's also 90. So it's not that weird because weird stuff happened that people weren't like, really, they're like, Oh, yeah. oh that's more interesting at that time. And now we're just like, why would you even come up with that idea? Um, it was odd <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. As um, we say on the ODPH, 
reasons. <laughs> yeah, for reasons. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So it was just. I remember that being really odd. But the way it ended is that David was about to kill Magneto when Xavier steps in to save him, and inadvertently David kills Xavier, which means that instead of killing Magneto to try to change the future for a better world, he ends up erasing everything that they know about the current state of the X-Men in present day, which means that Xavier, you know, no longer is around during present time. Cause this was like 20 years in the past, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no X-Men in terms of, you know, being led by Xavier. Right. So David Haller is no longer alive uh, in present day. Everything changes, basically, which goes into Age of Apocalypse. So when we start Age of Apocalypse, we start with uh, X-Men Alpha and we find Mm -hmm. out that Magneto actually ends up being a good guy because the fact that Xavier saved his life made him have a change of heart in terms of I don't want to say change of heart, because at that time he was still kind of struggling a little bit. Like he, I think, was still kind of questioning, you know, if um, humans and mutants can still live together at that time when that event happened. And so it's not so much a change of heart, but kind of solidified that because his friend sacrificed his life, that he wanted to continue the good work that his friend did and, you know, didn't want to make his life go to waste because of that but magneto looks very different he has very long white hair um he is the leader of the x-men so they're still an x-men but it's because he named the team after his great friend instead of you know it being named you know the m-men or whatever magneto or whatnot but the x-men are very different than what we have so we have saber to this part of that lineup right mm-hmm. um nightcrawler's in there but nightcrawler has like a different look to him him and uh, magneto and rogue are married in this storyline Yep. Which I found interesting. And and I got to be honest, like I get the appeal to a lot of people of like Rogue being like a really strong romantic, you know, interest for a lot of people. Like, it's just not me. Like Rogue is not someone in the comics that I find a lot of romantic interest in. So it really is just fascinating to me how Rogue always seems to be centered around a lot of people's like attention and affection <laughs> in the story. Um, well, you know, what the, the crazy thing is they were playing on a lot of fandoms that they had kind of teased a little bit throughout the years because there was the moments when Rogue was in the shadow or the not the shadow um, Savage Land. With yes, Magneto. So <laughs> yeah. they they went they went back there, and obviously they answered with Wolverine, Gene, and, and Cyclops, and they went in a different direction for that. They were yes. playing a lot of fan service, in my opinion, to these ideas that everybody's kind of teased. But like, will they? Won't they? They said, okay, let's give it a shot and see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's really fascinating. Like, I will say this is that it definitely seems Rogue and Magneto all the way through this story arc were like really a fascinating and great couple, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that it's, it's gotta be really um, infuriating for gamut rogue stands because rogue and Magneto were able to figure out a way for Magneto to use his power to stop rogues uh, power from like absorbing him whenever they mm-hmm. touch. So it's, it's one of those things. It's like, Oh, you want rogue to have that, but you also want her to be with gambit because that's like their soulmates and everything. Um, but yeah, just like everything that you know about the X-Men Lord, like change. But when they got to this point, basically, and, and this is something you can probably fill in with me is that um, apocalypse is pretty much um, taking over the entire world. So Magneto and the X-Men are trying to stop Apocalypse from, you know, decimating all of mankind, which, again, is a change from what we know about Magneto, because Magneto is okay with wiping off mankind from the face of the earth. And now he's trying Mm -hmm. to save them from Apocalypse here. Um, And so that's kind of where this story, you know, 
you know, kind of kicks off is that we get to see this new lineup. Sabretooth, I don't know if I if I mentioned this before, but Sabretooth is part of the lineup now. And it's really interesting because I love his story with um, Blink, who I never really read much of Blink in the comics, if at all. Um, so this is kind of the first time I've read the character. And I really love the story between Sabretooth and Blink because Sabretooth was pretty much the person that brought her up, like saved her as she was a kid and brought her up and was kind of that father figure for her. And so that really serves as a strong point of story in this um, entire event of Age Apocalypse, because that kind of serves um, to a lot of motivation for Sabretooth as well as Blink for what they do later on in the story as well. So, um, but yeah, so that was X-Men Alpha. And then we get into the astonishing X-Men where it's all the Age of Apocalypse story parts um, to kind of, do a long story short, I got to say this is that for an event that's called Age of Apocalypse, Apocalypse is not in this 10 issue arc hardly at all. Mm-hmm. He's in, I think, issue number four of Astonishing X-Men and then the um, X-Men Omega, which is the final issue of this event. And like, that's it. He's not he's talked about, but he doesn't really appear in any other issue. So for an event to be called age of apocalypse and he's not very uh, present, like really throws me off a little bit. I'm sure you could probably attest to this. Ken, like if you read the tie-ins, he probably shows up a lot there and probably makes a lot more sense. But like for this being the core central story, uh, I'm like, it should have been called, you know, the, you know, the, the showdown between, um, Holocaust, who, who's like a mutant that's fighting Sabretooth, right? Holocaust and the X-Men, something like that. Because like the majority of that arc was Holocaust trying to stop the X-Men from getting to Apocalypse in this story. Well, the big thing with him is I thought they played, they did something really well with him is they sprinkled him throughout these series. And it mm-hmm. wasn't anything that he was too overpowering. Like he's more featured in Factor X, which okay. took over for X-Factor at the time. But is is you just kind of have him being the overall looming figure, and they decided to just let these sub characters run crazy, mm-hmm. and that's why I like I say if you're going to read one series out of this entire bunch, it's Astonishing X Men by Scott Lobdell and Joey Mad. Right. Like that that pretty much can sum up everything you need. But if you deep dive into the other series, like yeah, you can see that his fingerprints are all throughout this because when they get to X Men Omega, by the time you get there, and you got to remember these books were coming out monthly. Right. By the time you get there, the build is almost set up in a pro wrestling stance that you're finally at that moment where it's like, you're going to have that showdown. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, you finally get that confrontation. The payoff is just that big because they haven't had that confrontation yet. Right. Cause I think if they showed up and they showed what he could do with the first issue, it would have really defeated the purpose, but you have to have them making the X-Men family life, a living hell. Mm-hmm. Then when they finally get that moment to come back, you're sitting there and just going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, just as you mentioned, you know, a lot of things have changed at the beginning of it. So one of the things we talked about is Jean Grey and Logan were actually a romantic couple. And we saw that. And I think in the first issue, either of X-Men Alpha or first issue of Astonishing X-Men. Alpha. Is Alpha okay? Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, and so you know Scott Summers is not even you know in on the same team as they are, um, and then when you get into X Men Omega. Now, like this is a part that threw me for a loop. It's like you see, just as you mentioned, all the stories kind of coming in together because this is a X-Men Alpha and X-Men Omega was a double issue, basically, because it was like a 44 page special event. Um, But you could tell all the stories were coming together because then you saw all the characters that were not in Astonishing X-Men that made their appearance here. And what happened in 
X-Men Omega is that you saw Scott and Jean like back together. And I remember thinking like, well, what the hell happened here? Like, I don't know. I don't remember (laughs) this happening in the previous issues, you know? Um, But just like you said, it's like all becomes, and it's very reminiscent of like what we're talking about with the current uh, run of Sinister, because I remember um, Immortal X-Men was kind of this way where, it's kind of the central story of the Krakoan age of what we're getting now, where there's a lot of tie-ins um, to X-Men stories that gives you a lot more details of what's going on. But if you read the immortal X-Men kind of gives you that overview of what's mm-hmm. going of what's happening in the story. And I feel like that's what happened here with X-Men alpha Omega and the astonishing X-Men is that it gives you the overview, like what's happening in the main story. Um, so it's really fascinating. I think, you know, that's been kind of the challenge here with these X-Men tie-ins is that there's so many going on that if you're trying to read just one storyline, you feel, at least for me, I feel like as a fan, I couldn't really enjoy it unless I read some of these other issues because there's so many details I felt like that were, they mentioned it, but then you kind of get sign blinded by them because your understanding was very different than what had happened in this issue. Um, and I think it's just kind of, this is a reflection of kind of a, pressing issue what's happening with these tie-ins now mm-hmm. is that a lot of people feel like they're lost and feel like it's very overwhelming to try to get into the X-Men series because that's pretty much how they set it up now is that if you want to enjoy the X-Men it's no longer a single series you can read it's these multi-series that if you want to understand everything that's going on you have to like invest a lot of money a lot of time just yeah. on this one team up and and this is very much an example of that and I feel like this is probably like at the beginning of it like what you talked about with this is very much a 90s X-Men event is, you know, this is how they do things and like, now it's just getting a little bit more expounded in that regard and and that it just gets overwhelming for somebody who wants to get right back into it um, so I, I, I think overall with this story, it is a kind of a difficult one to follow through if you're not reading the other ones but, mm. you know, the, the writing is really good, the artwork I thought was really fascinating, um because when you look at the cover, it's like it's just it's just it's very unique and just really grabs your attention for some reason. I don't know what it is. I think it's like a mixture of colors and the artwork and all that. But I know for me, one of the things that really stand out is as I'm reading these issues, anytime you see anyone that's like in the shadows, their face yeah. is always in the shadow, but you see their eyes and their teeth very, very clearly. And it just really sticks out as like. as like an artistic way to be able to show that they're in the, you know, they're in the dark, you know, supposed to be scared, but then you really see the face that, you know, they are scared or something astonishing is happening, you know, pun intended there, (laughs) but um, yeah, but like, it's, it's a really interesting artwork concept because I don't think I've seen that before after since then. Um, And it's probably, you know, very much a style of that artist there, but um, yeah. So the story overall, I thought was just really fascinating and, you know, they, they try to take down Apocalypse. And so eventually what they do is is um, they find Bishop. And, um, you know, Bishop wasn't quite sure, like, what was happening until, again, you know, he um, got his memories back. And then they sent him back to stop David <laughs> from changing the future. So it's almost like the, you know, days of future past kind of thing happening where they send mm-hmm. somebody back to stop, you know, the, the future from happening. And so that's exactly what happens. And then it's kind of interesting because the way that X-Men Omega ends is you see everything can you know kind of in that reality just pretty much goes away and everybody knows like it's for you know the greater good but they're also kind of still unsure about that whole thing as well yeah. too so yeah it's it's an interesting ending of what they do because like i say in, in you touched upon around right the head 
this has always been something that if you talk to X-Men fans, either you are all in and you buy every single book a month or it's tough to get into crossovers because you literally have to buy every series. Mm-hmm. And this has been something they've done in, you know, since the 90s and, and then some because fans were really in tune for this. And especially with like Age of Apocalypse, you can get the bookends, which is Alpha and Omega, and you'll get the story, but you won't get like the real emotion that's been building for it. Because right. a lot of fans will tune in and they'll go like, oh, well, why is Havoc doing this to Scott? Like they're supposed to be friends, but unless you read Factor X, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then like I said, and then so when that whole moment's happening, you're going like, wait, what is going on here? But that's <laughs> but that's how they get you to go buy all those issues. And and I mean it's it's smart in, in one aspect, but I think it's something that will really take you out from being a fan. Like for me, mm-hmm. I read them all at the time. And right. that's why, like, when I walked in that final issue, like, I was super excited for Magneto versus Apocalypse and the and the throwdown they have there. Right. Because, like I say, much like in the sense of a wrestling build, they had really had very little interaction beforehand. But now it's like the gloves are off. This is the end. And in the one sense, too, is everybody knows that they're relying on the hope that, Vi- that Bishop is right with his visions. Mm-hmm. Because if he's not... This is all for nothing, and they're literally going to end the world because of somebody's <laughs> bad dream. Yes. But they're willing to take the shot with it because what they're living through right now with Apocalypse, they, they don't want to do another day with. Right. And, I mean, yeah. that's, just, that's just a testament to, like, what's going on and just what Xavier's dream just influenced Magneto. At the time, he's like, he, re- he, he threw his life in front of mine to save me. Mm-hmm. So now... I'm I'm going to honor his legacy and I'm going to fulfill his dream. And then he comes around to it at the end. So by the time that, you know, now it's like you see that final page where it's just everything's changing. You get that sense that like now he finally gets it. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and 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 there's a lot of character development with that as well, too. Right. So, for example, I, I find it really interesting that in this world, Quicksilver is still around. And so Magneto obviously, you know, had a different wife before Rogue um, mm-hmm. and that Quicksilver still calls Rogue mother, I think, and uh, like out of respect, but she's not his mother by any means. But Magneto and Rogue has a child and named him Charles after yep. Charles Xavier. And I forget which issue it was, but while all this is happening, Magneto is at the Xavier mansion. That's, you know, one of their secret hideouts, but has been destroyed for years. Um, but he's just holding his son and just, you know, you really get to see that panel of um, showing parental love for a child where, you know, he just knows he, he says something to the effect that, you know, a child is love, you know, as a whole, basically. And mm-hmm. so he just spends that night wanting to just hold his child, you know, while he sleeps and just, you know, just be with him and just feel that love of his son. And, you know, just for, you know, love in general, just, you know, that whole feeling of, of being able to just, you know, cherish that before he knows the inevitable is going to happen. And so um, I think, you know, just like you said, like once he gets to that point, it's, he kind of sees, you know, even though, what he's doing with sending Bishop back might mean that he never has that reality of being in a marriage with rogue and having that son and having that love for a child, you know, for Charles, 
he's essentially giving that up because he knows that the future and their current reality is much worse than what yeah. could be happening if 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 they send you know Bishop back and and you know all else fails. It's like you know what what else do they have to lose because they don't want to you know just as you say they don't want to you know live another moment with that. So um, I will say one of the things that was really you know threw me off is that my hometown Indianapolis is actually in this comic run. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime I see Indianapolis mentioned in a comic, I was like, Oh, I'm hooked because I want to see, you know, how my hometown might be part of this whole story. And of course, like it was just very much just a, Oh, we're in Indianapolis. And they kind of like knock, you know, Indianapolis a little bit. It's like of all the places they could have gone, they went to this city. <laughs> yeah. And like, I get it. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not Chicago by any means, you know, but, you know, I always feel like Indianapolis never gets a fair chance from, uh, from entertainment and all that. But, you know, I, it, it was really cool. I will say that I find it weird because I think they said, you know, the location of, um, apocalypse. I forget what it was, but they found the secret location for where apocalypse was storing stuff was like 20 miles North of Indianapolis. But somehow in the next issue, like they were still trying to get to Chicago. And I'm like, Chicago is definitely more than 20 miles North of Indianapolis. And so that kind of threw me off a little bit, but yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that is X-Men uh, age of apocalypse. Any, any last thoughts before we kind of do more of like what our favorite moments were and things like that, like anything that I may have not mentioned that might be critical to the story for our listeners to really know as we start talking about these things. Well, I mean, the easiest kind of breakdown is just thinking of, they really took some creative ideas and for the fandom and really blew it up on such a large scale. Like right. we always wondered about cable, like how would he be if he was perfectly healthy and didn't have the techno organic virus in him? Well, you have that with X man, Nate gray mm-hmm. and see how his story is, but obviously flipped a little different with forge being his mentor instead of Rachel Summers in the future. And then you, then, then you have the new mutants or at the time generation X and how they were generation next and how that story completely goes off the rails of anything you've seen involving Mm -hmm. the new mutants. And that is saying a lot. And then just the, the deal with the Summers brothers and seeing how Scott, who is the ultimate soldier for Charles Xavier is now that for apocalypse Mm -hmm. because of the fallout with Jean gray, where he loses one eye and Wolverine loses a hand too, (laughs) just in their, in their ultimate showdown they had where he loses and now he completely goes to the side of apocalypse yet he has to worry about, I will say this. I thought it was one of the better writings of Alex Summers. I've seen at at the time Mm -hmm. that he was the petty jaded brother. And it reminded me, I know, I know I throw a lot of wrestling references here. It was like Bret Hart and Owen Hart. Like that's, that's kind of what it reminded me of just like the, the sibling rivalry at that time was just like really, you know, building on just how Havoc wanted to be everything Scott was and he could never be. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of how I always compare Ben Riley, I guess, to Peter Parker. That's a better comic analogy because I think Ben Riley is a lot better of a character if he's somebody that just really hates Peter Parker because he's everything he can't be. Right. So when you have all those factors thrown in together, it really made for an interesting, you know, overall story, just playing up to the fandoms and really giving fans just something so creative and coming out of that time period where you had the X-Men renaissance with X-Men one and uh, X-Force number one with Rob Liefeld and just how everybody kicked into new gear. And then every, all of a sudden the big seven went to image. Right. And then it was like, what are we going to do now? And they <laughs> did a great, you know, crossover with the executioner song, which I, I really loved the beginning and the, the end, but the middle, eh, not to be desired <laughs> in my opinion, but the end yeah. was fantastic. 
But yeah. they built off this where they just said, you know what, let's go have some fun. And I love when Marvel decides to do that. I think I mean, nowadays is a little more tougher, but I think back then it's when they just really want to be the house of ideas, you yeah. know, and just say, run with a crazy idea and go with it. Yeah. And this played right into it, gave fans and a, <laughs> a lot to talk about mm-hmm. in certain fandoms that we've always kind of been like, well, what if they did? What if they didn't? And sure enough, like this had such a big payoff. Like it's one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time. One of my favorite Marvel stories of all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it gets what, what's interesting about this is that this is, you know, an alternate reality that is, you know, part of lore, but it's not um, something that you have to worry about being canonically correct in things. Mm-hmm. and things. And I think that's what makes this story really interesting is just like what you said, it, they just took a bunch of wild ideas and threw it out there and made it a thing. And I think um, overall, it sounds like it's very successful. There's a lot of stories and a lot of details that kind of goes into this. But I think that's what people like to see is that it's almost like the what if version Mm-hmm. of X-Men in terms of, you know, what if things were played a little bit differently in this regard? And it kind of like, it's not to the same extent as Flashpoint in DC, but with Flashpoint and how the Flash goes back and changes time, stuff like that, it's kind of that same idea as that, you know, that butterfly effect of one thing got changed and then all of a sudden, you know, you get this cascading effect of everything that you knew about the universe that you're reading about has changed as well. And so by the end of it, it, it goes back and pretty much returns to normal as much as I know about. I know you said like, there's some things that changes, um, but yeah, so it's it's really it's really fascinating to say the least. So it's it's something that if you're interested in reading Age of Apocalypse, it's definitely a whole event that's much more than these ten issues that we touched on. So mm-hmm. if you have Marvel Unlimited, if you do a search of Age of Apocalypse like 1995, it'll give you a whole list of all the comics that you can read that's tied into it. Or I think there's a you know an omnibus that you can probably get as well too if you want to get the physical copy. It'll cover all those things. Um, but there's definitely a lot more of the richer stories that you can get that plays a lot of details into the main event that we that we touched on in this episode. But it definitely has a lot of um, these side stories that you might be interested in reading about and kind of learning more about the different kind of relationships as a result of this event that happened with Legion of or the Legion quest. So um, before we get into our specific things that we liked about the story event, I want to share what people have said that what they thought about the series. And by the way, I apologize that the explanation of this story was very long. Um, you know, kind of give you a backstory. I, I went to C2E2 uh, last weekend, which was a lot of fun. But then when I came back, I had strep. So I've been sick all week. So I didn't mm-hmm. even get to read the story until like, two days ago, like starting on two days ago. And then I didn't even finish the last issue until probably like a couple hours before we started recording. So my mind's kind of like all over the place and trying to remember what details were important to make sure that we capture what these essential parts of the story was. So if I butchered it, I apologize because I've been kind of all over the place this week. So um, with that being said, I do want to share very quickly um, what people have said, what their thoughts were about the series. And it's really fascinating because when I first pitched this over to Comic Watch, I got a lot of response from people, uh, not just, you know, the number of responses, but also very lengthy responses of the thoughts about the series. I've never had that happen on really? uh, an episode on any story before. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. So these are going to be a little bit longer. So I'm going to kind of go through them quickly, but it's really fascinating. I think they're really, um, they 
obviously a lot of people have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings about the story. So um, let me go ahead and start off with Comic Watch. Uh, Theron Couch said one of the best written comic events, period, except for perhaps X Universe. There isn't an ounce of fat of the story. The story is very tight and very logical on how it proceeds. The creators put thought into how Xavier's death would change the world and thus its people, as opposed to, say, Flashpoint, which just threw spaghetti against the wall. Um, the art was next level across the board, except for perhaps Excalibur. Astonishing is practically a, pre- a preview of Joe Mad's eventual uh, manga-esque style. Generation Next is uh, Bacalo on steroids. X-Man remains among my favorite of uh, Scrosi's work in the form of Nate Gray, McCoy, and Sugar Man. It had significant impact on 616. Perhaps most impressively, we get to know most of the main characters in Age of Apocalypse better in four issues than we do in some 616 characters over the years. None of them are simple placeholders in a plot. They're compelling in their own right. It's still a gold standard that I measured every comic book event against. Very positive, very glowing review from Theron. I say this because then we get a, a comment from uh, Gabriel uh, Dazers, which to kind of give you a backstory between uh, me and Gabriel, like, it's very fascinating because he and I always have different outlooks on movies and comics. Like, you know, I'll like something he wouldn't, he would like something I wouldn't. So we're all very opposite. So whenever we agree on something, we're always like, is this the end of the world? And there was one day where like, we found out we agreed on like three things. And we're just like, okay, this, the world is definitely ending because this never happened. So, um, so Gabriel actually said, essentially you find it overrated and rooted in nostalgia. I'm a sucker for continuity. So I do enjoy that. It leans on, uh, leans on it and twists it. But despite how some titles make for good reads, I find it empty when placed in a greater frame or at least empty compared to the hype it gets. And that goes back to how I, I am a sucker for continuity. Yes, we got dark beast and Nate who vanishes for years at a time and sugar man advances for longer but for something that is supposed to be so iconic it's so essentially what did it do i feel like it's only imprint is when it's an anniversary and they get to uh they want to reference it is a good read mostly especially with gamut externals and generation next if fairly skippable in terms of the greater story of the marvel universe now can i know you love this story so i'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts were with gabriel and, and to be fair gabriel did not read this when it came out so mm-hmm. He and I have very different experiences with this story, and I feel like he and I probably are similar in this regard because um, I enjoy the story, but I feel like there's a lot of things I kind of wrestled with. But you read it as it was coming out, so you had a very different experience. And he even said that as somebody who didn't read it as it came out, it's a very different experience in that regard. So I'm kind of curious yeah. to see what, what you thought uh, about his comment with that. No, I, I think he has a very valid point, too, because they it's a moment in time for fans of that era. And for really anybody that was reading the X-Men run in the 90s, like it stands out. It's almost like saying, you know, how does Days of Future Past, the comic, impact today? Right. You know, it's it's one of those moments that does it hold up? No, not really. And, and you do make a great point there about they only bring it up when it's anniversary time. Because you do see like there has been a sequel to it. But I couldn't pick it up because for me, you're not going to recapture the magic right. that was with us. Because for its time, it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it, it does what it, it played into just really having some great ideas and trying to go with it. Reading it now, you're going to say, okay, well, what's the big deal? And honestly, the last one standing out of it is Dark Beast, who is still lurking in Krakoa. But <laughs> like everybody else is pretty much non-existent. 
Right. I mean, I, I wish they would go back and, and maybe bring somebody in there to the Krakoan universe just for reasons. But, <laughs> you know, we don't do that would just be amazing if, if somebody did that. So Marvel mm-hmm. make it happen. But, <laughs> but I, I can completely understand that point. But it's just also like the argument of do you go to the stories because if you're somebody that's you know all about continuum, that's fine. You know, mm. but for are you somebody that really goes for events? Because this one, as you saw, is getting paid homage right now. How many years later? Right. And like, that's the impact. Like when I think of like events in comics, that's what I think. Because if you see that effect still being replicated and we've seen it in a couple of different stories, too, for other companies. Mm-hmm. This is one of those moments that it just it stands out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's been brought back like at least once that I've seen yeah. where they've done an age apocalypse story again. So um, but yeah, I just it, it, and I it definitely has a huge impact on X-Men lore and things like that, I think. Um, but I, I agree with with um, Gabriel's point in that because it's something that was it, it was a lot of fun because you got to do a lot of like what if kinds of stories mm-hmm. with it. Um but in terms of continuity and everything, like, you know, it's one of those things where you can have a lot of fun and then it never really, you know, pushes the story forward, which I, I think that's can be a good thing. Um, like I said, I think the biggest you know hurdle for me is the fact that I feel like I had to read all these tie ins to also kind of get an understanding, appreciation of what was happening throughout the story as well, too. And yeah. that's, I think, again, that's an X-Men thing that I'm hoping Marvel at some point will start tying it in a little bit tighter and not expect that any time because the current crack Cohen thing has been like five years in the making. And so it's like, that's a lot of time investment for mm-hmm. somebody if they want to really follow along the story to be able to really enjoy it. And now this one is a lot different, as you said, because this is more like a four month event. Um, yep. But the crack Cohen one that we currently have, this has been almost five years now. And I'm just like, I'm, I like it. I I really enjoy it, but I also want to be able to say like, you know, maybe three series tops that I can read and follow along. I don't want to have to, you know, put in 10 or 12 different series on my pull list just to be able to enjoy a major event that's happening. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's been my biggest hurdle with this series by far. No, and that's completely understandable too. Cause like I say, I just think they're, they're just the current run of Kirkoa. I think they're recycling a lot that we've seen in the past from the X-Men. And I think yeah. doing those big crossovers, you know, maybe there are a lot of people that like him. Like me personally, I don't because it's it's just a lot at once. And I think you take a look at the most recently X of Swords. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that was just like the never ending story. And I was just like, OK, I'm out. Like, yeah, I can't finish this. I'll catch up with him after. So, right. yeah, yeah, I think that's just a deterrent. And I hope just like in the future, like you can tell a great story in smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. Instead of just making everybody go out and get all the, the side stories to it. Because like uh, the heart of the matter, it should just be the main points. And then if something good spirals out of it, then you can do uh, one shots or limited series after. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, hopefully, you know, with, with, with the current runs, they'll start tying in. And I think it sounds like they might be doing that with the fall of X that's coming up, hopefully, but we'll see. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I understand like I, there's some series that's currently going on that I absolutely love. And there's some that just like you said, with, with the uh, X of swords, it sounds really fascinating and everything, but it's, it's against how many, teams and stories do we need to read just to be mm-hmm. like what is going on in Krakoa right now so yeah yeah um 
Okay, so going back to Age of Apocalypse, uh, Matt Myers, our editor-in-chief at Comic Watch, said every one of the creative teams was clearly inspired and let rip with some of the tightest and boldest writing of their careers for the entire decade. And considering how fallow most of Marvel was in 1994 creatively, it was a shockingly focused next-level read that feels ahead of its time. Uh, Ross Hutchinson said, it still cracks me up that the creative team at Marvel had no clue if it would work, and everyone was exceptionally nervous about it. It was revolutionary and exceptionally bold in its ambition, and every AU event and to this day and including SOS right now is held up against for it in comparison um, so that's from Comic Watch Illumina Casters uh, the only comment that we got again because I, I put it out there um, I think late last night and you know this weekend is being Easter weekend all that everyone's been busy and everything but Joe Loves Comics said he's never read it but it's supposed to be a classic which again we've been talking about how much uh, you know we've heard Age of Apocalypse being a, a, a mm-hmm. classic and then on Twitter can you actually tag this person uh the contrarians at julio. contrarian prime <laughs> yes shout out to julio fantastic yes. podcast too by the way contrarians <laughs> everybody should go check out definitely um this person originally retweeted the tweet and said will the episode be five hours long in order to do it justice uh, we're <laughs> at like an hour long so it might be five hours by the time we're done not really but i mean there's a lot to unpack here and i feel like we still haven't done it justice in terms of unpacking because i feel like there's still a lot of details that it makes it interesting that we could have you know oh, touched on yeah. yeah um that we could just go in that rabbit hole you know by far but after he said that, he said, my favorite X-Men event, epic, ambitious, with great alternate takes on so many characters and ending that delivered on that four month buildup. I just brought uh, I just bought the omnibus and can't wait. Uh, can't wait to reread it. And then Bizarro Fett said that is his favorite X-Men event ever. So a lot of people enjoyed this event. Like this is really uh, a really pivotal one for a lot of people. Uh, Short box summary at Purple Bird 616 said, absolutely love this event. I think the editorial and shipping was brilliant and brave. The Legion quest lead in was epic as hell. And hunting down the back issues are some of my fondest memories in high school. And then none of my friends like uh, comics podcast at no comic friends says one of the greatest events comics of all all time. So thank you everybody who shared their thoughts about this uh, comic event. Um, really appreciate it. It's really cool to see what people think about these series, especially if it's one that you're not a fan of. Um, so I always love to hear what people enjoy about it, but I love to hear what people didn't enjoy about it because again, not every story or event is going to be for everybody. You know, I think, you know, can you absolutely love this? I enjoyed it. I don't think it's something that I absolutely love. I think mm-hmm. there's this again, like by the end of the day, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go out and get the omnibus necessarily. I might go back and read some of the other side stories that you and I had talked about offline. But, um, you know, it's one of those things was like, I, I think as what we mentioned with a lot of things, put in context with what was happening in 1994 and everything like that, I think has a lot more greater meaning than somebody who's going back almost 30 years later to read this story and be like, you know, what the hell is going on with some of this stuff? So, um, but yeah, I, I love hearing people's thoughts about how much they love there, how much they didn't enjoy it. So, um, Ken, your favorite key moment in this series or arc, like what was one of the things he absolutely loved about this whole story run um, with the 10 issues that we covered in this episode? To be honest with you, I love the entire astonishing X-Men series, the, mm-hmm. the four there. That's why I brought it up to you, especially because I think Scott Lobdell's art writing and Joey Mad's art, and especially with the creativity flip that they did, mm-hmm. you had a sympathetic saber tooth, which we've never seen where he had wild child. Yes. As, you know, his Robin, so to speak, 
Yeah. And turned out to, be, you know, we, and usually wild child had always been a, a throwaway character from alpha flight. Mm-hmm. And now you see just like how that, you know, they're working together and how saber is just completely 180. You had blink who at the time was supposed to be part of the original generation X series, right. but she was killed off during the crossover that led into it. So a lot of fans were waiting to see what, how she was going to play and mm-hmm. their bond happening together. Plus the creative flip of Sunfire in his costume. Mm-hmm. We had Morph. Or yes. she'd be like, Morph. <laughs> and, you know, just this dynamic where you throw everybody together. And it's just like, this is what this series is all about mm-hmm. for Age of Apocalypse. Like I said, you, you can dive into like the Summers Brothers with Factor X. Generation Next is awesome for like the just insanity that is going on there, which I, that was probably my second favorite one. And right. then just, you know, like I say, depending on what your fandom is for all the Gambit fans, they, you know, checked out the series that was for place in X-Force and Weapon X too. But for me, it was like that moment where you saw the X-Men completely 180 and it still had the heart, the emotion. So by the time you got to that fourth issue and you see Rogue declare like the age of apocalypse is no more and the group shot, mm-hmm. you're like... Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I still even get fired up about it to this day. That's, oh, yeah. that's just how much I love about it. Because, like I say, when you, you grow up reading the X-Men, and especially when they were, you know, the big thing at Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did no wrong. And, you know, they get the spotlight on them. And then to see them just completely just say, like, let's just go completely the other direction and let's see what goes. Yeah. And you still capture that moment that reminds you, like, why you love the X-Men. Just amazing top to bottom yes yeah and and it's it's interesting because you covered a lot of actually what were some of my key and favorite moments in in the series and one of the mean that i absolutely love seeing Sabretooth as more of a empathetic person that's on you know the team of the x-men because you know his whole mentality and viewpoint pretty much is different in this reality than what we've mm-hmm. seen in the um in the main 616 and the fact that he is a it was really interesting because in the sonic x-men you see that him and wolverine were actually um they seem like they were friends which i mean you know i know in the story they uh, in some realities or some storylines they were in the past before they split and all that. But in this one is really nice to see them kind of being friendly again, but that Victor is the person that finds blank at a young age and becomes a father figure. And they have that huge, very loving, you know, strong parental bond. Um, and that, Blink would do anything to save and protect uh, Victor Cree, the man who saved her and vice versa with him. Like he would do anything to protect her. And so you see that story play out in the entire, you know, um, story arc of age of apocalypse. I absolutely love that. I think that was, you know, one of my favorite relationships in this, that I really wish if there was anything that came out of this event that kept in continuity, it would be this one because I just absolutely Agreed. love this relationship. And I think we need to see more of those kinds of relationships. Um, not that we don't see those things like, you know, X-Men is one of those stories where it's like how you, you know, find your family outside of your, you know, biological family in a sense. Right. And so this is definitely one of those things, but I think, you know, kind of highlighting that in this way was just fantastic. I absolutely love seeing that. Um, 
And I agree, Iceman and Morph were also some of my favorite characters. Especially, you know, you said you love Iceman. Iceman is not my favorite character, but I will say it's my favorite unappreciated character because I feel like he is definitely a character that you can have a lot of fun with, but doesn't get a lot of attention for a lot of series and as much as other people or other characters in this story, I feel like he gets a lot of attention. Um, his costume in Le- in Legion quest was really cool. And, and um, his character development and his appearances in this story, I absolutely love. And morph was, was fantastic as well. He was definitely a comic relief in this story. Yep. They had a lot of fun, not just him being comical, but using him in pivotal times that kind of, you know, change, it's like a a crazy reveal that happened that you think is this one person it turns out it's morphed this whole time, mm-hmm. you know, doing that thing or whatever. And then and, and then there was another one where Rogue absorbs Morph's power and then she uses Morph's power to change it to somebody else. And so she's pulling a morph, but it's Rogue doing it this time. I, I, I just I love how they use Morph in this because it's it was multifaceted in that it was very comical but very practical and very strategic in how they would fight as X-Men using those powers. Yes. Agreed. I I absolutely love that. Um, So those are our key favorite moments. Let's end it with what is something that we wish would be different about this series? Um, A lot less crossovers. Yeah. Like (laughs) to be honest with you, the Excalibur series just didn't do anything for me. It just Mm -hmm. didn't really connect there. Gambit's story with the externals like could have been wrapped up a lot quicker. I thought it was just kind of like, you know, giving him a, a spotlight at the time. And, you know, that is. And then, I mean, Weapon X was it was cool to see, but I don't think we needed like a, an entire series based around Wolverine and Jean Grey at that time. Like, I think it was a cool right. moment to see. But I, I just think like for over the overall factor of the story, like if they tightened a lot of it up and just really even if they did like four issues the size of Alpha and Omega. And yeah. just did that. I think that would have been a lot more, but I understand why they did it because you're replacing your monthly title. So you want to do something great. But mm-hmm. I think it's like, when you look at the overall pictures, like there's ups and downs. Like I say, you can hear when I talk about astonishing X-Men and generation next, like I said, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the other stuff and it's like, okay. And then like factor X was like cool in concepts, but right. it just didn't like, I, I like it, but then I also look at the different things. It's like for Havoc, I thought that was a, a standout moment for him, but he yeah. still was whiny and annoying and just <laughs> it, it played into it. So like when you have that big moment in Omega, you're like, finally. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, <laughs> I think if they tighten it up, but like, this is something I think they just tried experimenting with and maybe the length yeah. of it too, because like we touched upon, it went for five months essentially. So that's mm. almost half a calendar year. That's mm-hmm. a lot to do that if you're not having everybody buying all these books, you get to Omega and some people are going to check it out because they've been following one story, but you're not going to have that big payoff unless you read everything. And then, cause when you have like the big battles like Magneto and Apocalypse, how brutal that was, you're not going to have the same reaction as when you have Havoc, Jean Grey, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Just, it, it doesn't play out that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, I I, I got to say for for me in this area, I I don't think there's anything that I haven't touched on that that is new. Um, But I mean, just like what you said here, for me, it's just the the tie ins in general. Just um, it it makes it hard for somebody if they want to get into this storyline. They got to do a better job of like how to tie it in 
that mm-hmm. if somebody comes back and wants to read it, like how would they do this or kind of create a, a reading guide, which they could definitely do in um, if you use Marvel Unlimited. But if you're somebody that don't have Marvel Unlimited or using library or if you're getting like the physical copies or something like that, um, it's a little bit difficult because you don't know like where to kind of fall in. And sometimes some of these things happen at the same time, but it's just, mm. a, it can be daunting. I mean, it's, it's just like, There's you know, this is just ones. one event. Yeah. So, um, it's almost like the opposite effect of devil's reign. That I've been hearing people say that, you know, devil's reigns probably didn't need to be. It's mm-hmm. event that crossed over to all these properties. Um, but it seems like it's, it's kind of the opposite effect of what you're saying is that, um, you know, we probably didn't need to have all these tie-ins to the story. Um, yeah. So that, I, I still think it's a weird thing that they had Legion try to seduce his mother. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Like, that was just a weird thing. Like, I, I'm sorry. I can't. That's like the one thing I can get. Even I don't care if it was the nineties. It was like not as faux pas. Like it's still weird. Like I think. I, I, I think, was just, I, I was just thought it was a multiple personality, like took over and didn't make the connection. Like that's just how I kind of just ran with it. I was like, all right, well still it's, it's awkward. It's weird. Right, yeah. Let's just turn the page and, and go. It's yeah. It's <laughs> like I like I don't want to like yeah. I know I'm right there with you. Like the setup for it, like they had the potential, but it's like I, to get from point A to point B, it's like it just it, it went in so many different turns. Right. Like you say their entire time the X Men had memory loss down in um, Egypt. There, I yeah. believe there. The, yeah, it's like you guys could have sped that up a little quicker. Like it didn't need to be four issues going back and forth. Like it could literally have been two and been done. I know. It just, it's, it was just a, yeah, it's just, I mean, and I get like some things you have to, like, some things were like kind of interesting, all that. It's just this one, it's like, I just, I, I don't know who thought, it, I'm always interested to, kind of find out like in the writing room who like pitched this idea and then who are the other people like oh my gosh that's a great idea let's do that you know like because it's yeah. never like one person that like it's left unchecked it's like multiple people see this and, and maybe there were multiple people who are just like no i don't think that's a good idea for a number of reasons but they end up like approving it anyways for for whatever reason because again like you said reasons right but yes. it's just odd that this was even on the table to begin with it's like why did he have to do that in order for this to happen, you know, like it's, it, yeah, it's just weird. I think that's my biggest hang up. Like there's a lot of like little hangups, but that one, I'm just like, what the hell, <laughs> you know, but if, if you ever read anything with Legion, it's no matter what it is, it's, it's, it's weird. weird. Yeah. Like I say, the, the TV show is prime example. Yeah. Like I love the show, but I would sit there after and go like, what did I just watch for 45 minutes? <laughs> and like, I'd literally be sitting there like staring at like the next show and just like trying to process like, what did I see? Like, I, I love the first two seasons. Third one, not so much for me, but <laughs> I was just like, this is Legion. Cause I'm like, I have no idea what I watched. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's something. Yeah. It's reason. Yeah. It's, um, well, and I gotta say like after reading this, like I definitely want to watch the show again. Like I, I think I've only watched maybe half of the first season and, and same thing what you said. I, at that time, I didn't know anything about Legion. So I didn't know the, like the backstory behind this character or anything. So when I was watching it, I was doubly what the hell is going on and what I'm yeah. watching here. Cause I had no idea, you know, the story behind it. Now that I'm learning a little bit more about it. Um, and, and, and I have watched it originally before I got back into comics. And so now that I'm learning a little bit more about it, I'm just like, okay, I, I think I can probably catch a little bit more with it now. So, um, okay. So that was, 
Age of Apocalypse. And so at the end of every episode, we like to talk about what comics we're currently reading. So I'm going to share what people have um, sent in to let us know what they're reading. And then we'll go into what you and I are reading, Ken. Um, so from Comic Watch, B-Rat said that uh, they're currently reading the end of the Levitz Giffen um, L-O-S-H Baxter run, which I got to say, I don't know what L-O-S-H is. Yeah, superheroes. League of Superheroes. Thank you. Gotcha. Um, so I sometimes with the acronyms, like there's some acronyms yeah. I definitely know. There's some I don't. And that was yeah, one Lush, of them. <laughs> Lush threw me off for a while, too. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Legion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that slowly builds to the five years later era, as well as the Legion 89 book that would star Brainiac to Lobo, uh, which he said gross. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plus the rest of the uh, League of Superheroes related titles like Valor, uh, Timberwolf, Legionnaires, etc. And simply uh, a masterpiece. And he says this as he's finishing up issue 50 of the Baxter series. Giffen's debuted his new style in his book, going in a way that's quite different from previous style that's heavily influenced mm-hmm. by Jim Starlin that would leave fans of two minds. They either loved it or hated it. Anyway, you can see how much he's grown here, developing his writing style that would make him one of the most prolific writers of the post-crisis era of DC Comics. Um, on Twitter, at Blaine McGaff said, Honestly, loving Adventures of Superman, John Kent. It's a multiversal story that goes back to his time in captivity with Ultraman and is leading to a crossover uh, with Injustice Universe I haven't read, but excited about learning. And then Mickey Joe Smith, who's also known as Cell Phone Wall Keys, um, is reading Rogan Gamma number one. The art is great. It's a Rogan Gamma story, so it has a built-in love to it already. But it's a fun addition to their story. It feels like those movies with a couple on the run, like Bonnie and Clyde are true romance, but they're good guys. And then last but not least, at Pulp, uh, at Pop Cult Prod, um, which their uh, account name is actually, um, I think, Pop Culture Production. Going back to the start of Hellblazer, it does show its age a bit. However, still a fantastic read. Dark horror with a bleak, dark mirror held up to the world. Constantine is at his shittiest best in this story. Um, Ken, of all those that I just shared, is there any of these that kind of like stand out to you of like what what was really interesting or exciting to you? Rogan Gambit. Love it. Uh, Stephanie Phillips, one of my favorite writers. Yeah, absolutely crushing it. Grim. By Boom Studios should be in everybody's pull list. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, um, the coolest book on the shelves, bar none. Yes, just, it's 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 a vibe. It's a whole energy. It's it's yeah. It's a fantastic and Adventures of Superman too. Like I say, the Tom Taylor stuff. I'm I'm interested. Like it, it, for me, like Superman has always been a tough read because mm-hmm. it's like he doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't have a really great rogues gallery. Right. So when he's challenged and it's presented in a different light. I think that it proves really for some great stories. And I think what Tom Taylor has been doing, Jonathan Kent's there. I think the Joshua Williamson run right now has been awesome. Mm-hmm. I know we're just a couple issues in, but still, but yeah, those, yeah, the adventures of Superman and like I said, Rogan Gambit. That's yes. my thing. Yeah. I, I, um, I loved um, Superman Adventures of John Kent. I haven't started um, the new Superman series yet, but Rogan Gambit number one I've read and I absolutely love it. I, I never read, a Rogan Gambit solo series um, mm-hmm. from either character, but I absolutely love this one. And it, and it still kind of fits in the current X-Men run, but I feel like you can read this and kind of 
enjoy and understand what's going on because it's it's almost like a self-contained story even though they're hinting at like what's going on in the larger story they do a pretty good job of explaining you know that to the reader if you're not familiar with it at all whatsoever but like you said stephanie phillips i don't think i've read anything of hers i didn't enjoy everything that she has written so far has just been phenomenal and mm-hmm. i think is um you know this is definitely one of those that's continue going that will continue to be a really good story so yeah um, all right, so Ken, what are you currently reading this week for the week of April 10th? Catching up on Radiant Black, the franchise book of comics' most exciting line, the massive verse, Kyle Higgins, mm-hmm. and the team over there is absolutely crushing it. Uh, Michael Basiddle is editing and overseeing this whole thing. It's a movement, and, I'm, and with everything going on with them, Supermassive 2 is just around the corner. Yes. Catalyst War is coming no one, which I mean, how amazing is that book? I absolutely love that. I'm glad you suggest that to me because I, I think not only is it a great comic story, but he is trying to do something different as a as an experience, basically. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what no one's doing, because not only is there a comic book story, but there's a podcast that goes with it. That gives you even more story behind what you're reading. And um, it, it, he's just what Kyle Higgins has been doing with massive versus he's trying to do a lot of different things with the comic book medium. I think it's been doing phenomenal and it's just been doing outstanding in terms of the things he's attempting to do. And I think they've been landing really well and they make a lot of sense and it's getting people to, you know, talk about and enjoy it as well too. And so it's just story-wise, I haven't been able to read any of the other massive verse, but no one I absolutely been loving for a number of reasons. And so it's, it's all this stuff has been uh, fantastic so far that I've heard, um, but mm-hmm. no one is definitely one that um, is really, you know, it's on my poll list to get every week. And I think it come, the second issue, I think comes out not this week, but the following week. So I'm really looking forward to week. that. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I can't wait to check that out. Yeah. So, and, and, and as you know, C2E2, they, they announced the, uh, the catalyst war that's going to be coming out. It's a major event with uh, radiant black and a couple of the other properties from the massive verse as well, too. So that's going to be a really fun one to see happening um, over the summer as well. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait. I can't rave about that that line enough. I think that they always remind me of when Image first came out yeah. and just that buzz from the original seven, because when you'd walk into a comic shop, mm-hmm. everybody was like, yo, did you check this book out? You Did you get this? You get this. And like, I go into comic shops now and literally that's what happens <laughs> when a massive verse book comes out. No lie. Like I people just literally run up and like, did you read Dead Lucky? <laughs> you need to go buy it and like i'll read it yeah yeah and just like rogues on oh my god and, and it's just a rave about it and if you go into it i mean the creativity the production the whole package mm-hmm. it's just such it just reminds me of that era and i'm like this is why you you become comic fans and you get hooked into like superhero books yeah so Oh, yeah. It's definitely one where if you like superheroes, but you want to read something that is not from DC or Marvel, this is a great one because they've been doing a fantastic job of writing superhero stories. that's very different that still intersect with one another, but are still self-contained stories. So it's not like an X-Men event where you have to read everything to know what's been going on in these things. And Kyle Higgins specifically said that 
for the Catalyst War, they're writing in a way where you don't have to read the other books. I think you, if you read the other books, like you appreciate a little bit more, but you don't have to in order to follow along what's going on with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really, you know, if, if you're looking for something new and different, but still in the superhero world of things, um, this is definitely the one I would recommend that's out right now is that whole massive verse, like any of them. Um, again, even though I haven't read, you know, Radiant Black, I've heard nothing but great things about that and Radiant yeah, Pink and everything. It's awesome. No one, definitely get no one because I think no one is really, really, really well done. And I think it's just going to be um, something that a lot of people are going to be talking about for years to come in terms of a comic book series that really does something different and interesting. That's just so well done as a story, but also, you know, pushes the limits on how to experience and to consume a story beyond just reading a comic book issue, too. Mm. Um, for me, if you've been listening to the last four episodes, you'll know that I've been saying I'm going to start X-Men Red. I have not started yet. I'm planning on starting it. It's on my list. Um, I just, you know, I have this whole bag of issues that I have not read yet. And X-Men Red is in here. Um, actually it's not in here. So this is even without X-Men Red, I have a bunch of issues that I need to get through because again, I've been traveling, I've been sick, so I haven't been able to read this stuff. So once I get caught up on that, I'm going to read X-Men Red. Um, this week, Storm and Brotherhood of Mutants, the next issue is coming out. So I'm definitely getting that one because I've been investing in that. Um, another book that I'm going to read that I'm really looking forward to is, um, the Batman who laughs because Ooh. I've never actually read the story. I've only seen this character but don't know anything about it. And I've heard a lot of people said that this is great. It's from Scott Snyder and uh, the artist is jock and over at C2E2, thanks to Michael Rothman from nerd initiative. He was able to let me go into the VIP to meet with Scott. Um, and he actually signed it and Michael got this book for me as well too. So now that he's got this signed, I'm going to read it and, you know, definitely just sit down and be able to, learn more about this character that a lot of people really enjoy. I have no idea what this character is all about other than it's a Joker posing as a weird Batman thing. <laughs> it's, Basically. It, 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 great character. I, I can't stand the name though. Like, <laughs> I, like they gotta, I, they have to come up with something else for it. Like, I just like, Oh, it's just like, no, it's just, too it doesn't long. roll like, off the just, tongue very well. No. Cause yeah, I just, yeah. Reasons, but yeah, but, uh, but, but yeah. yeah, let me know what you think of that though. Definitely. We got to talk about that. I will definitely do that. Yeah. So, well, that is the end of this episode. So Ken, thank you very much for coming on the show before I let you go, let us know where we can find you and your show online. Very simple. You want to find out everything going on with the ODPH and I hope you do swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Social media links are all right there. Parley Points blog section is always getting updated. The directory. So if you're trying to figure out where to listen to the ODPH on your favorite podcast player, boom is right there. So click that follow, click that subscribe, drop a five-star review. It always helps the algorithm. And you can also <laughs> check me out on Nerd Initiative, dropping some comic reviews there on uh, New Comic Book Days, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And Sean, thank you for having me on, man. This has been a blast. Oh, thank you. I'm always loving talking uh, about comics with you. So you're always welcome to come back on the show. Thank you very much again for talking about Age of Apocalypse. This is very fascinating. And I hope to have you um, on a future episode of Absolutely. The Capsule Life. <laughs> thank you. And that wraps up another episode of The Capsule Life. I hope you enjoyed listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Capsule Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsandlife.com. 